Thought Leadership from PwC. Welcome to PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in as we continue our 2023 SCC Comment Letter Trends series, where we dive into each of the top comment letter topics this year. It's important because when the staff ask the comment, they will cite specific right. down to the sub-Roman numeral, the specific part of that. So I think it's 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 a good double check to, yeah. to make sure at the end that you're not just, it's not just rolling it forward from period to period, mm-hmm. but that you're also taking a look at at the rule periodically to make sure that you're, you're still lining up with that. That was Ryan Spencer, a PwC national office partner who specializes in SCC reporting. Ryan joins us to share insights on SCC comment letters related to management's discussion and analysis. In the nearly 1,350 SCC staff comment letters issued through September 30th, MDNA was the second most popular topic. Listen in as Ryan dives into the specific issues addressed, which often consider the objective of disclosures in MDNA and how companies can respond. Or better yet, avoid common pitfalls before you get a comment. Ryan has a lot to share, so let's get started. Ryan, welcome back to the podcast. So nice to have you on to talk about a perennially popular topic, which is MDNA, which I know is also very high in our list of SEC comment letter trends again this year, uh, which I'm sure is no surprise to you. But maybe before we get into some of the details, do you want to give some overall perspective on trends and maybe you know what we're really seeing in this area? Yeah, sure. So, but before I talk about the trends, let me let me talk about how we look at the information we see to determine what is or is not a trend. So, when we talk about trends in comment letters, we we really measure them over a rolling 12-month period. So what I'm going to talk about is the the observations for the 12 months ended September 30, 23, relative and compared to those for the, the 12 months ended 9-30-22. Uh, and when we look at the comments and where they're falling out, we're finding that MDNA still has a very significant volume. It's always been in the top five areas as far as, far as I can remember back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for this for this period, it it it's number two, uh, trailing non GAAP, which I know we, you've talked about yes. in other various podcasts. So um, if we go back to about a year ago, it was number one. It was the leading uh, leading area of comment. Uh, so the reason it's decreased really is due principally, I think, when I look at the information, is mostly due to just what I'll say non GAAP taking up more of the market <laughs> the market share there. Um, but we we do continue to see that a high level of comments in this area, and it's not surprising to me because the staff, the SEC staff, over the course of the last year, a couple of years, they've been very public that this is an area of emphasis. They uh, we'll talk a little bit about that more uh, later, but they've they've focused on they've been very clear that this is a focus area. So were you before we get into some of the more detail, were you surprised to see that it non gap kind of overtook it or just given the number, you know, the CDNI is on non gap and just the focus on non gap? It doesn't to me seem that surprising, but just curious your perspective. No, I wasn't surprised at all. Just to to your point, yeah. the CNDIs, the focus that they made at the the uh, twenty twenty two conference yes. and as other public forums too. So I um that has been, we've been seeing that say over the course of the last 
nine months or a year. And, and it's, um, it's not surprising. And then how about just anything specific from a sector's perspective? Because I know in some of the other comments, we see relatively more, for example, um, business combinations in some sectors than others. Uh, no, not, not really. Nothing, nothing noteworthy. I would say we see this trend consistently across all sectors and really there wasn't any of them that was a, an outlier. What I, what I will say is financial services and the banks tend to get less comments in MDNA. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always a lot of questions as to why that would be. I think that, you know, given some of their requirements for disclosure in other areas and interest rates, mm-hmm. uh, other impacts, that may be one, one reason, but. Um, so you can't just say they're doing a better job. <laughs> they, they might, they might, they, be, they might also but, be yeah. doing a better job. So shout out to financial services on that. Keep doing what you're doing, I guess, but still pay attention to these points. And to that point, then, uh, Ryan, are there overall any specific trends that you would highlight as we look at these comments for that 12 month period? Yeah, sure. So um, maybe maybe I'll start just by reminding how the rule is organized, right? So we're talking about MDNA, which is Regulation SK Item three hundred three, and it's structured into three main components. The first is results of operations. You also then have liquidity and capital resources, and then there's also requirements for critical accounting estimates. And when we look at these three main areas, by far and away, Heather, the comments are on the results of operations area. Um, they far outnumber the the comments in the other areas, even if I were to add the other two up together. Um, but we have seen a slight uptick in liquidity and capital resources, uh, very slight from the prior year. But that that's kind of an overview of how they fall out in those three categories. All right. That's helpful. And so then do you have any sense of why we might be seeing such a big concentration in that one area in terms of the results in the results of operations? Yeah, good, good question. I I guess what I would say is when companies are talking about results of operations, there's, there's just generally a lot more to unpack there. The discussion ultimately just takes up a lot more real estate in the filing. So certainly there's a lot more to to look at. Um, When we think about results of operations, the rule requires not only discussion of things at a consolidated level, but it also generally would require that to be discussed at a segment level as well. So mm-hmm. when you start peeling that back, there's just a lot more um, discussion and analysis that that needs to go into that. The other reason I, I believe that we see more in this area is that the, the requirements aren't only to talk about what happened or the past, but there are also requirements, as, as we've talked about before, to discuss um, things on a on a forward looking basis. What are the trends that trends or uncertainties that could reasonably have a material impact or cause the future results to be different mm-hmm. than what, what's in the past? So when you put that all together, there's just a lot more, lot more to to discuss, and there is. Um, as you know, a lot of judgment in in how to apply and how to meet kind of the materiality standards that are in in item three hundred three. One question for you that we've talked about in other uh, podcasts, and I think Kyle may have even mentioned in the overview, is the fact that the SEC will also be looking, for example, at a company's earnings release, and it seems like how you frame your company in your earnings release versus how you frame it in your MDNA, that could be another place where there's focus. Is that something that you see? And, you know, how does that kind of fit into some of these factors that you would be talking about here? Yeah, absolutely. That That's a trend that we have seen. Um, the comments that are coming, uh, especially in the results of operations area, 
I would I would characterize them as much more triangulated and much more pointed than they have been in the past. For example, comments in the past may have been, please look at your disclosure and revise it to talk about all material factors or all material variances. You know, please see item 303 of SK. Now, when the comments are are being um, cited, they'll comment on we we noticed in your earnings release mm-hmm. that you said this, or we noticed in note three of the financials you said this, or in your earnings call transcript uh, you oh. said this. So it's clear it's it's much more clear, and I think I think the staff has always done it, but it's I think it's much more clear that when they are looking at the filing, they're not doing that in a vacuum; mm-hmm. they're looking at it holistically with all of the other information that that's available. Uh, an example of a of a comment there that I saw recently is. Uh, the the staff was citing an, an increase in, uh, or it, they they noted that the company was disclosing an increase in sales due to a you know say a ten percent increase in volume and a seven percent increase in price. However, they cited that when they looked at note three to the financials and the earnings release that was furnished on the form AK, they had some discussion in there that talked about some of it due to new product introductions, which is an explicit requirement in item 303, that if there's material changes due to new product introductions, that that information should be disclosed. Interesting. So definitely really trying to pick out this different these different pieces of information. All right, that's very helpful. And then how about any other particular metrics that, that they're focused on? Yeah, so I have seen an uptick in comments related to per- performance metrics, KPIs, key performance indicators. It, it's interesting because what they will do is is look very carefully at other parts of the of the document. Say, so for example, the business or the strategy overview, and will say, well, if customer retention is an important part of your strategy, then please tell us what key performance indicators that you use in your in managing your business to address how you are doing against your strategy. And there, a couple of years ago in, in 2020, the SEC did um, issue an interpretive release around performance metrics, indicating and reminding registrants that item 303 requires discussion and analysis of statistical data that in the company's judgment enhances a reader's understanding of the MDNA. So their view is if it's material and it's being used in the business, then it generally should be disclosed. Um, for for to enhance that uh, the investors read when with the financial information as well. So we we've seen they'll cite that release and in the comments and we we've we've seen I've seen an uptick in in those and they'll focus on if we talked about customer retention, mm-hmm. but you know sometimes we'll see strategies they'll say you know land and expand as part of our strategy right getting the customers and then increasing oh, the yeah. amount of sales we have there. They'll ask, in many cases, I've seen them ask, okay, well, what are some of the metrics that you are um, looking at to to uh, to manage towards that part of your strategy? It's interesting, Ryan. We talk about this sometimes on the podcast, but it's really resonating with me listening to these comments that it's almost like people, before people start updating or preparing their MDNA, they should be rereading these rules and just picking out you know, what is exactly required? Because these seem like they're pieces of the rule that if you had just looked at it and said, for example, your comment on the um, new products, if you had seen that it says, we'll talk about new products, that may trigger you to say, oh, I should be talking about this here. Yeah, I think that's an important part of the review process. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really not 
that long of a, a rule. There are some instructions there too to to give a little bit more clarity and explanation. But yeah, that's something, and it's important because when the staff asks the comment, they will cite specific right. down to the sub Roman numeral the specific part of that. So I think it's 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 a good double check to, yeah. to make sure at the end that you're not just it's not just rolling it forward from period to period, mm-hmm. but that you're also taking a look at at the rule periodically to make sure that you're you're still lining up with that. Yeah, and so to that point, then any other any other points we're seeing comments on that you would highlight here. Well, actually, yeah. I mean, the biggest area we're seeing is the comments that are asking for more detailed and analysis of uh, and discussion of the drivers of variances in line items, including offsetting factors. Oh, so they're focusing on trying to bring the A back in MDNA a little bit. <laughs> um, so, as a reminder, there's some pretty explicit guidance. We we talked a little bit about that on revenue. There's some pretty explicit guidance on revenue as it pertains to price volume and new product introductions. There's not anything say in particular or specified for say your SGNA line mm-hmm. item on your on your income statement, but the rule does say that where financial where the financial statement line items reflect material changes from period to period, including material changes within a line item that offset each other, that that it, the company should describe the underlying reasons for those changes in both quantitative and qualitative terms. So we see the comments asking for more quantification, uh, more description, and asking about offsetting factors. And to my point earlier, they will see things in other parts of the filing that will say, okay, well, you've said you know, su- supply chain issues mm-hmm. or you've said inflation issues. Please you know, please quantify those. And, and sometimes it, it's true that it may not be material. It's just that the company hadn't necessarily stated that so it wasn't it wasn't obvious, obvious to, to, to someone to, to the reader. So that we're seeing, I would say that's most of the comments we see in results of operations are just asking for more quantification, more granularity, and really getting at that point around offsetting and analysis. I guess, which yeah. is a, a really good point. One of the things we've spoken about a lot ever since 2020, although I'm, again, I'm sure we spoke about that before, is just the importance of thinking about current events. And not just rolling things forward. And so is that a continuing trend or keep people getting better at that? Yeah, absolutely. I, it, it continues to be an area also where the staff has publicly reminded um, registrants that they are that th- it's important to take a step back. So after you're done with everything, the known known trends and uncertainties that reasonably could have an impact are required to be disclosed and to the extent material quant- quantified to some degree. So um, we've seen with you think about what's going on. There, there's a lot going on in the in the world, um, macroeconomic factors, inf- inflation. You know, we've seen interest rates steady mm-hmm. a little bit, but inflation continues to be um, a period over period uh, has, has period over period impacts. So we've we've seen the staff in some of their public comments remind that remind registrants that that MDNA should be updated when those things change and. Um, when you're going to talk about macroeconomic factors and their impact, it should be disclosed separately as opposed to just you know combined as to one big impact. So they're really, again, looking for granularity um, due to that. So it, it's a reminder at the end when you've gone through everything to really take a step back, make sure you've got the right input from those um, you know, who are manage, managing, managing the business and the strategy and, and reacting to all that's, um, all that's going on in the marketplace. So Ryan, to that 
point, just as you were speaking, I was thinking this is really important then for the financial reporting staff not to be writing this in a vacuum. Like they cannot be expected to have full understanding of everything going on in the business without input from relevant people in the business to help them understand some of these trends and otherwise. Yeah, that's right. All right. So then I think that's hit quite a lot of topics in uh, results of operations. If nothing else there, maybe we can move on then to the next areas, which you mentioned were liquidity and then critical accounting estimates. So anything there that you would highlight? Yeah, I mentioned before, these aren't the the, the results of operations gets the most, most comments, but in liquidity and capital resources, we've, we've seen comments um, around asking companies to be a little bit more clear in how they um, are dealing with material certain uncertainties surrounding liquidity, both on a near-term and a long-term basis. So a couple of years ago, the MD&A rules were adjusted to add in this concept of near-term and long-term. And so they've been issuing comments, asking companies to make sure that their discussion is balanced between those those two areas. Another area is if, um, you know, with rising interest rates, I think we've seen in, in some cases that uh, that there's debt maybe 12, 15, 18 months coming due and companies thinking about refinancing, et cetera. We'll see comments in that area asking, you know, not just 12 months out, but what 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 are some of the things from a liquidity perspective that companies are thinking about as it as it relates to their existing existing debt? But I would say a lot of the comments in this area, though, are, are frankly just um, are, are less judgmental. They'll, they'll cite the near term, long term. Mm-hmm. Please, please describe that. They'll say uh, they'll ask for please disclose your material cash requirements that you have, your obligations that you might have, your uh, if you have any off balance sheet arrangements, disclose those. So um, pretty in, in those cases, not not drilling down too much, but just, I would say almost kind of a compliance exercise. Like why haven't you, why haven't haven't you done done this? And Ryan, to the point of short term or near, yeah, short term and long term, are those terms defined or is that how the company uses them in the business or the company is able to decide for themselves what makes sense? Yeah. I I think you'd look at what your normal operating cycle is, but I think, you know, it's not, it's not, defined in any way. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. And then how about critical accounting estimates? Yeah. So critical accounting estimates, just as a, as a reminder, the, the rule requires a disclosure around those estimates that are that the company uses in its financial statements that involve a significant level of estimation uncertainty and, and have had or are reasonably likely to have a material impact because of some of the, the key judgments and assumptions that are going into that. The, the comment trends here are, I would say, they're generally flat, but they are higher than they were a couple years back. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, about three years ago, the SEC amended the rules. They they always had a view here that critical accounting estimates should have information in there that's quantitative information mm-hmm. to the extent available. Uh, that was always their interpretation of that. And then a few years back, they actually put it into the actual rules. So there have there's more ability that, for them to focus and cite on that specific rule. But what it asks, what what those the comments there are really in two main areas. I would say, the the concern and the, the staff has been pretty public about this is that the critical accounting estimates shouldn't just be a repeat of exactly what's in your financial statements, right? That's already known. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they are looking for is uh, information to explain why, in greater detail, the accounting estimate is 
critical? Why is it subject to uncertainty? And to the extent that the information is material and reasonably available, how much each estimate or assumption has changed during the period and what would be the impact of that. So in a nutshell, I'd call that like sensitivity. They're pretty much all the, I would say a large part of the comments there are really in that theme, Mm -hmm. asking companies to, to do that in a little bit more detail. So you think about areas like goodwill impairment assessments, discount rates used within those, the sensitivity that, that the, that the reporting unit might have to that. You think about um, pension plan mm-hmm. assumptions and, you know, a, a number of other. A yeah. Any level areas. three fair values, I guess, as well, depending on materiality too. So that's right. Credit losses as well. So CISO also. Yes. So that those are areas where um, we, we definitely see them. The advice we always give when looking at filings is, Hey, the, the, the staff is focused on this. Have you considered whether or not, you, if that information is available, whether you've pr- provided some some quantification in there. And then sort of across the board, across all three of these areas, when registrants are responding to the comments, are you typically seeing the resolution as a, hey, fix this for next year? Or are you seeing registrants needing to go back and amend previously filed information? Yeah, mo- the, when, when they are resolved, uh, and there's going to be a disclosure change coming out of that resolution. It's it's generally prospective. Um, it, it's pretty rare to see it drive to a level where the the staff would ask or the company would conclude that the the previous 10Q or 10K needs to be needs to be amended. Well, and it's interesting, actually, the way you responded made a good point that my question presumed that there was a change Mm -hmm. that came out of this. Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, there may be cases that a restaurant is able to support the way they have prepared their MDNA sort of, I'll say as is. Yeah, absolutely. They they may clarify some, they may clarify something in the response that will um, resolve it without any kind of additional disclosure. You know, sometimes the comments, again, I, I, I think I mentioned this before. Some sometimes they're asking for describe the offsetting factors, describe material changes in price for revenue, describe material changes due to volume. Well, sometimes they're not. There may not be material changes. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it resolves that way. And maybe maybe what comes out of that is in the future there's a little bit more clarity in the the word choice to make it clear that say price pricing adjustments mm-hmm. yes. did, did not actually have an impact. So. For comments that come in that in that area, that's usually how we see those re- resolved. That's helpful. And then, obviously, you mentioned that we looked at comments over a twelve month period, and so I know you were not looking at individual months within there. But are you seeing sort of any underlying trends where, in the later part of the period, any more of this was more prevalent, or too hard to tell? No, from, not re- not really. I mean, uh, other yeah. other areas, uh, yes. other. Other areas that I know you're going to talk about, those we we have seen some things that are more recent, but in this area, I wouldn't say there's anything over the past few months that is that has been a a new hot topic. All right, and then other than in these top three areas, the comment, any other best practices that you would point to or resources other than obviously, as we said, uh, reading the rules. <laughs> so right, right. Um, there are what I would what I would say is this: the staff has been when they're targeting a specific area, they've been pretty public about that. And on the division of corporation finances website, they have a library, if you will, of what they call uh, corporation finance disclosure topics. So CF Mm. disclosure topics. 
and then the so-called dear issuer letters or dear CFO mm-hmm. letters. So, for example, there was a, a dear issuer letter on uh, the Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There was a dear issuer letter on climate. I thought I thought I was going to get through this entire podcast without <laughs> having to mention climate. I would have asked but, if you hadn't. So, but, uh, and, and and when and those do have some. Um, relevance to MDNA in those mm-hmm. in those dear issuer letters. So when you take all of that information that's available and look at it, um, the staff has been clear that for anything for any big event that might be going on in the world or any big macroeconomic change or issue mm-hmm. that you can actually take the title of it, you know, the dear issuer letter, say that was there on on COVID, on COVID or mm-hmm. the disclosure guidance that was there on COVID, um, actually substituting. Whatever, whatever the current whatever the current thing is for that, and then rates, yeah. and then and then looking at it, and it's a really good. I'll just call it kind of a mental checklist when you go through it to make sure that you, you kind of get the staff's view of the lens that they're looking at when they're looking at filings. So it, it's a good kind of double check at the end to make sure that everything from uh, from a broader perspective has been has been considered. So those are. Those are good resources that are out there, and it also gives you a good kind of roadmap on how how they might look at it and some of the comments that they might issue. And I guess, actually, I had not realized, are there other disclosure topics on there, or is it really just these dear issuer letters that are there? Do they have other information there? Yeah, there's there's disclosure. Yeah, the CF disclosure topics kind of walk through this whole list, and then the dear issuer letters are essentially sample, sample Uh. comment letters. So the one that gets a, the most press is this, the, the one on climate, right? right? So when we see climate related comment letters come in, they generally are follow, for the following, most part, following the that, that format. So I think getting ahead of it, the, the staff, like I said, was very public and, and issued yeah. this so that really, so that all registrants had the opportunity to consider that in their, in their periodic yeah. filings. Well, so definitely a good resource then for uh, issuers as they're preparing. Any other tips then that you would have just based on your experience reviewing filings as well as dealing with comment letters? Yeah, I think when companies are preparing a response to to a comment in in any area, but in particular MDNA, I think it's I think it's important to make sure. Um, I, I see a lot of drafts where maybe the 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 entire question hasn't been answered. Um, so certainly we address that in later drafts, mm-hmm. but it, 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 it's important in my experience to take a very surgical approach to the, the question the, and the words that they're using in the, the comment or the question uh, to make sure that you've comprehensively uh, responded to it, but that you also have a good sense of exactly where they might be going with this. Um, there's, there's always, I think, Others have talked about this in the past, but you always have the opportunity to clarify mm-hmm. uh, and reach out to ha- to get some clarification on the on the comment. If strategically you're trying to understand maybe where they're going, or if you don't completely understand it, but I, I think making sure that you address it comprehensively is is important, and it'll reduce the the cycle time and and the and the back and forth. the The other thing I always mention is if the if the staff is citing guidance or citing a regulation in the actual comment, re- repeat that repeat that back to them. Like in I would I, I generally That's expect that, yeah. that in the response if if they're saying please refer to some part of item three hundred three that in the response you're actually talking about how you considered that and citing citing some of it uh, back to them. I think that has always helped. And then lastly, um, I, it, depending on how many you have, this is, this is, we see varying practice here, but 
you do have the ability. They, most comment letters ask for a response within 10 business days. Um, you do have the ability. Registrants have the ability to ask for an extension on that. And that's pretty typical. I, in, in our experience, it, it doesn't really come across as a sign of weakness. In fact, the staff has been public before mm-hmm. stating that, you know, they really would like companies to make sure they're doing a comprehensive, thoughtful response. So um, just when something comes in, don't cons- panic, cons- don't panic, <laughs> don't, don't feel like it needs to immediately get it, get addressed. You, you, you know, you get a project team around it, figure out you, you get the right information and respond, but doing so in a very thoughtful, appropriate in an appropriate way is I've seen has, has led to some successful outcomes. All right. That's very helpful advice. And then how about for companies that are trying to avoid comments in the first place, any thoughts there on tips that you would give in terms of let's focus on MDNA preparing your MDNA. Yeah. I, I would just go back to that results of operations section. We talked about making sure that you've grounded yourself in the, in the rule. I think these, the thing about variances and offsetting factors, really making sure you understand what's going on in the accounts, having the right schedules, processes that you have there to, to capture that and making sure that you've really made good calls on what's material, what's not, uh, I think we'll, we'll, we'll head those off at the, at the path, at the, at the pass. The, the other I'll just reiterate what I said before. Also, one way to avoid comments is if there haven't been material changes, say in certain areas, you you could consider word choice to make it clear mm. that that you have considered that, and you may not even get get the comment and have to administratively. Go oh yeah, the so they don't think it's an an emission. You can just tell them, you know, this is not an issue for us. Exactly. Basically. Yeah, exactly. that's helpful. And I guess just overall, then, just this idea of businesses do change. So not just rolling forward what you had and trying to layer new things in, but really taking a step back and thinking about your business is going to be helpful here as well. Yeah, that's right. Especially, uh, especially these days. Yes, exactly. Well, Ryan, always such a pleasure to talk to you and some great insights here. So thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you. That's our show for today. Tune in next week for more fresh episodes. So that you never miss any of our audio content, follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.